Welcome to TechLink in Conversation. This episode is part of our vulnerability series. My name's Hannah Coffey and I am the Vulnerability and Client Assistance Manager at Technical Connection. During our conversations throughout the series, myself and Jan Levy from Three Hands will be speaking with a number of organisations, charities and importantly lived experts across a range of vulnerabilities. We hope through our episodes to bring life to a range of vulnerable circumstances, to raise awareness of the signs and the symptoms that financial planners and support teams may wish to consider so that you have the best conversations with your clients to ensure the greatest outcomes. This particular podcast focuses on agreement. So, yeah, it was you. Thanks so much, Hannah, and good to see you. Great to be here again. Today is all about bereavement, and I'm really delighted to have, uh, first of all, Kirsty Hunt from uh, Cruise Bereavement Support. Hi, Kirsty. Hi. Good to see you. Um, well, I'm sure you'll tell us more about Cruise, but in a nutshell, a charity that helps people with bereavement support and information and campaigning. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll let you explain a bit more in a moment, uh, Kirsty. And we've got Dom. Dom is a lived expert in this area and regularly volunteers his time to share his experiences of uh, bereavement um, in order to help businesses, frankly, do a better job uh, for customers who are bereaved. Um, and I guess there's, with that in mind, there's a few different scenarios we might look at today, but I think all with the same kind of messages. One is around perhaps a client who has died, but another one might be around a client who is bereaved, um, uh, a client's partner has died, uh, for example, and there could even be that kind of scenario where a, a next of kin, children, grandchildren find themselves inheriting money and not quite knowing what to do with it. But before we get into all of that, Kirsty, a quick word on Cruise. Yes, hello. I, I work for Cruise Bereavement Support. Um, we are the UK's leading charity for supporting people who've been bereaved. And by support, we mean on the emotional side. Less so the practical side, but very much on coping with grief, normalising grief, help people understand what's going on for them when somebody important in their lives has, has died. Um, we've been doing it, yep, 60 years. Okay, thank you very much. And um, grief is something that we are going to talk about today. And it's a really sensitive topic, clearly. It's one that we're possibly not that good at talking about uh, in this country, at least, a cultural thing, I guess. And then it struck me that there's another thing we're not that good at talking about, which is money. So in the next 30 minutes or so, we are going to be talking about death and uh, money. And if we can break some taboos in the process, I'm glad we're able to laugh at that, by the way, that's great. Um, if we're able to break some taboos in the process, that would be fabulous. But Dom, I want to come to you first. And um, you've kindly come to share your own experiences um, about your journey of uh, bereavement and grief. Um, and I might just hand over to you to uh, tell our listeners a little bit about that. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So, first of all, thank you for having me on. Um, so, yeah, a little bit about my story. So, um, gosh, around 10 years ago, my sister passed away. Um, and it was... She'd, she'd had a, a very long battle with cancer. Um, and it had been on and off. So it was one of those things where there was always that kind of there's always that kind of like that realization that it may happen but at the same time it's just like well she was, she'd beaten it so many times before that this fight this wasn't just a, another fight um and so yeah so she subsequently after kind of complications she passed away and it was just me and my mum left and having to sort everything out because everything kind of fell into into my hands purely because my mum wasn't wasn't able to 
to manage it, wasn't able to, you know, her daughter had just passed away, had just died. So, you know, it's, it was one of those things where I was just like, okay, well, I have to stand up and I have to, I have to kind of, you know, kick myself into gear. And almost as if kind of put my grief to one side so I can actually deal with her estate and her affairs. Um, and like you said at the beginning of this podcast, no one really talks about any of that. So I had no idea what money she had or where it was or, or anything like that. So you kind of, you're almost walking around in the dark trying to find the light switch um, and just keep stumbling over things. So I think one of the things that really struck me when I was sorting things out is just communication on the phone, talking, talking to people on the phone and trying to explain everything whilst trying to process it in my head at the same time. And I'm really just trying to, to get that across to people and, and put that in the right words. Um, and I think for the most part, people were, you know, they were really good and they had their practices in place. But a lot of the time it was, okay, well, let me just put you through to somebody else. And I don't deal with that, so let me just put you through. And you're having to explain that story over and over again. And that's where it became a little bit insensitive and a little bit too hard mm. to, to be able to manage. And it's a lot of calls or mm. letters or yeah. interactions you have to have, right? And I can't remember the average figure of number of interactions that you Yeah, we, just, we did some research at Cruise on this the other, the other year, just before the pandemic, and on average, on average, people have to contact 26 different organisations to notify them of a death. Now, that's the average, and some people have very straightforward affairs, and possibly your customers um, and clients at St James's Place probably have far more complicated affairs so again that could be a, a significantly larger number and it's that point you were saying Dom isn't it about mm. um telling that story again yeah. giving those giving those dates mm. again yeah. and we've heard stories of people having to give dates of birth and dates of death therefore literally bracketing their that person's life mm. in a very function in as part of a functional conversation with a bank or a building society yeah. and I think kind of one of the, the biggest things was when people were, were just asking what's her full name because you're so used to just saying you know her name is Natasha so I used to just say Tasha um, and then they're asking for her full name so that makes that process so much more real yeah so much more real that, it, that this is actually happening yeah yeah um, and I guess when you're going through that process there are some good days where you're feeling all right feeling strong enough and some bad days and, and that's going to have a impact on how the conversation goes or how you react to what you're hearing on the other end of the phone um, and, and managing that must be pretty hard. Absolutely because you know when you are making that call when you're ready to, to make that call and you know you're phoning banks or car finance people or just even just the smallest details when you're when you're phoning those people you're in control you're in control of that conversation and you're sitting there and and you know exactly what you have to say and what details are going to come up and why you're specifically phoning them. Um, when you get that call and it's incoming, it's as if something has just come dropped in your stomach. You know, you're, you, weren't, you weren't ready for this. You know, you were just going to go and make a sandwich because that's all you can do that day. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's, it's, that's it. Um, or have a shower. And then all of a sudden someone's calling you and they're just like, oh, are you so-and-so's brother? And you're just like wow, okay, there goes my day. Mm. 
other times you can just be like, oh, okay, yeah, I can have this conversation today. And, you know, I'm in that place where this needs to be sorted and, I, and I'm okay with that and we'll crack on. Um, but it can change in an instant. And I think that's something that is key that needs to yeah. be sorted. And that's good to understand because I think a lot of the cases we're talking about, and it's you know, 26 phone calls or whatever it might be, quite often you're calling a, a customer service center. In this case, often the financial advisor will have a relationship with the client or with the bereaved client. But still, I think the same principles, I'm sure, apply. So in terms of what you heard, in terms of how you were treated, mm. what worked well and what <laughs> didn't work so well for you, Dom? Mm. I think what worked well for me is when somebody on the other end of the phone remembered the little things, such as her birthday, for example, you know, they were just, and, or they remembered, you know, the date of death so that you wouldn't have to kind of repeat it, repeat it. Yeah. and repeat it over and over again. And they, they had that kind of, that rapport already that they had built. And it may, you know, it may just be kind of the person that is at the other end of the phone. They are just that kind of person where they instantaneously can build that rapport. Um, but it's it's not having to repeat yourself over and over again. So when you're giving information, it's recorded, mm, it's recorded yeah. clearly, so that when you phone back or talk to them again, you're not going through yeah. it again. And it's one of those things, and, and I know, <laughs> you know that I've done it before, is actually sitting there and making and making a note of it. You know, when somebody says, oh, I'll just put that note on your file, actually making that note, because nine times ten like nine times out of ten down the line that note will become important and it will come up and if you're having to ask that for that information again yeah. it might be really sensitive and often again with financial advisors do, who do have relationships and in some cases get to know clients pretty well again a lot of the same applies because there's a question as to the amount of um sympathy you're looking for versus the amount of empathy versus the amount of just plain good old efficiency um, are you looking for sympathy when you're having a call like this or interactions like this when it's about money or, or what are you look what are you looking for um so i um and this is just my personal yeah. um opinion i am very much against sympathy yeah. <laughs> i don't i don't i this for me there's nothing that's more insincere than sympathy i think for me empathy sitting there and saying to me, I don't know what you're going through, but help me to understand. Like, let me walk with you for a little bit. Um, it's so much better than just kind of almost just sitting there and, and condescend, being condescending. Mm -hmm. and, and even though it's not meant that way and it's not intended that way, it still comes across. And it's almost as if the best way that I can describe it is sympathy is standing over someone looking down and talking to them, whereas empathy is getting down to their level and actually talking to them face to face. Yeah. I mean, this is something that comes up in a lot of the training work that Crease does with all sorts of organisations. And I think the closest we've got to encapsulating it is professional warmth. Hmm. Um, having that warmth of tone and understanding, but not it's not going into the details, is it? It's not sharing hmm. over going, oh, when my grand died and my... No, no, none of this. This The person you're talking to, it's their grief hmm. that's important. Your, your stuff is your stuff. It doesn't have a part yeah. in that interaction with yeah. that person in, at that time. It, you may draw on it for your own experience, yeah. but don't draw any comparisons. Yeah. That's very much yeah. something we yeah. will say. But yeah, professional walls. Yeah, definitely. So part of that professionalism, and moving on a little bit, is around uh, language. Yeah. Um, and um, 
I was looking at you, Kirsty, when Don was talking about um, Natasha passing away, because I know you've got a stance on that in terms of language at Cruise, haven't you? <laughs> we do, um, we do. And there's a lot of euphemisms that get used around the subject of grief and death and dying. But ultimately, the best words to use are those words, dead, death and dying. It is what's happened. They are the correct words in the language. And also those euphemisms of gone to sleep, sorry, Don, passed away. Um, they may help you feel like there's something, but they can land really badly mm. with, with the person who's who's mm. bereaved. Um, it, so it, we would encourage that correct usage. That's what you'll see on our website and in all of our communications. And I think that will help us break some of those taboos that we mm. have as, as a society mm. about talking about this this topic. Yeah. Mm. So how do you mm. feel when about those words? Yeah, I, now... I, kind of, you know, what, 10 years on, um, you know, if somebody says, oh, you know, when did you pass away? I'm okay with that. And that, that, sits, that sits okay with me. But right there and then, when you need everything to be real and you need everything to be kind of have a structure, then you need to use that language that, you know, if someone turned around to me and saying, okay, well, when did she die? Okay, yes, that may cut, but putting cotton wool around it isn't going to help. So, oh, that's interesting. So at the time when things were most raw, that's when you needed the really direct language. They're not interesting. Yeah. Because that's as raw as it's going to be. Yeah. That's literally yeah. as raw as it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. In a strange way then, though, what if a financial advisor, say, was to say, like, what, you know, when did your wife or sister or mother or dad or anybody die, but the client then keeps repeating back that they've passed away, do you then never with them and start to use their terminology? Yeah. Take the lead yeah. always. And similarly with the use of names. So if they say my father, respond with father. If they yeah. say my dad, if it feels appropriate, say say dad. That's very much that. It's that again. Yeah. It's empathy, isn't it? Yeah. It's mirroring that that person. So yeah, listen. I suppose that's my <laughs> biggest tip. Listen, listen. Listen again. Well, yeah. I want to get onto that and, and grief and mm. a bit more specifically in a moment. First of all. It sounds like a really silly question. What's the scale of the problem? Because quite often when we're dealing with topics, we want to know what's going on out there in, this, in society and the scale of it. The scale of this problem is, well, everybody will die in the end. So, But the stats are on the up, right? Presumably because we have an ageing population. Um, grief is so personal. It's so linked to the, the cause of death, the relationship with the person that died, mm. cultural factors, so many different factors. And actually... Some people, it will be okay. Um, my father died not very long ago. It was okay. He was he was ill. It, it was fine. It, it, it's not happy, but it was fine. But then there's the other situations where somebody dies, perhaps unexpectedly, in a not very nice way, young, all sorts of other things that will make grief complicated. And those are the ones that need the extra, the mm. extra empathy, the extra understanding. I suppose I always talk about grief and death having different shapes mm. and i'd say the story with natasha is a different shape to the story mm. that i had so dealing with my father's affairs we can be very matter of fact mm. because we were expecting it and we had power attorney and we know where everything is it's a different mm. a different dynamic but the financial advisor may or may not know some of that stuff mm. um and in terms of the scale of the problem yan we've just had the pandemic um that's throwing all sorts of stuff up in the air. And there's been a lot of unexpected yeah. deaths, unplanned, well, not planned, it's not the right word, but, you know, 
and uh, mm. no, yeah. lots of stuff and, I, and, yes. and it's giving us a chance to talk about grief as well and also that whole death being in the news mm. so much yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, certainly from the helpline that Cruise runs in the early days of the pandemic a lot of the calls weren't about people who were dying then it was about historic grief mm. that was being brought up being triggered, yeah. triggered by events and of course that's another factor just to be aware of grief can jump out mm. from the woodwork yeah. At unexpected times. Talking about when when um, a death is expected or semi expected, um, I've heard the, the phrase anticipatory mm-hmm. grief. You know it's coming, but presumably you can never quite prepare for it. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a that's one of those situations that people don't probably they probably do think about, but don't think about. So as a financial advisor, you may be actually dealing with a family who've got a loved one who is has a terminal mm-hmm. illness and okay there's lots of housekeeping that you can help them to do and plan and get get organized and that will be really really valuable but they will probably be grieving during that process as well mm-hmm. and when somebody's grieving anticipatory or after the death it messes with your thinking mm-hmm. it messes with your head you know concentration span really can <laughs> disappear yeah. can become like a gnat yeah. So if you're working with somebody who's grieving, whether it's before somebody dies or, or afterwards, factor that in. Take time. Mm. Speak a bit more slowly. Put things in writing because they may not be able to deal with it at that moment, but perhaps might want to come back and be better able to deal with it when they're in that more doing frame of mind that you mentioned yeah. earlier. Yeah, okay. And I think as well, just to kind of to, to jump in on that point, is, you know, at the end of the day, you might be dealing with somebody who, who like me, is grieving somebody that has died, but also grieving somebody who they once were as well. You know, all of a sudden, I've gone from a brother um, to an only child. And I'm having to grieve that. And I'm having to grieve everything, but also pick up these extra responsibilities as well. And and every death actually can really change the landscape for families. And that's another thing as a financial advisor to factor in, because roles will change. Um, When my mum died 18 months ago, we had to pick up caring responsibilities for my dad. Didn't expect that. It was on its way to death. You know, if it's uh, a couple and one dies, they may become a single parent Mm. and have to deal with childcare arrangements. So a death doesn't just deal through the emotional landscape up in the air. It can actually, the practical landscape can massively change. But as financial advisors, that's where you may well have a really key part of the puzzle or part be able to help and navigate. In my family... If my husband died, I, I'm not used to dealing. That's a change I'd have to deal with our finances. So again, supporting that that person who's got to pick up managing the family finances. Mm. What can you, as a financial advisor, do to make that a, mm. a transition smooth? I've got some quotes in front of me. Uh, the charity Independent Age did some research on bereavement um, earlier this year, and they did 28 in-depth interviews um, on all sorts of aspects of bereavement. And here's a quote that really talks to what you've just said. Somebody said, uh, my wife was always the organiser, the brains in our house. I've been like a ship without a rudder since she died. And, and I wouldn't say that's just, I wouldn't even say that's independent. Older people don't mm. make that assumption. Mm. We all know what, what families and partnerships are like. People work to their, their strengths. And as I said very much in my household, financial mm. stuff is not my strength that 
that sits with my husband. Can we, let's sit with, with grief just for a moment, mm-hmm. and then I really want to get onto helping people understand just the practical impact on mm-hmm. people of being bereaved. But I've got this picture in front of me, Kirsty, which could be from a, a, a GCSE geography, physical geography <laughs> syllabus, because it's a Sorry. river, um, and um, suddenly this river takes a plunge into a pool, um, and it's called the River of Life. And well, that plunge we, is we called call it the waterfall of bereavement. Oh well, well, the, the, well yeah. yes, the, the waterfall of bereavement, yes. and then it goes into a pool, loss and emotional disorganization, or, or falling apart, and and, yeah. and then as the river goes on, there's mourning and acceptance and, and reorganization and loving again. But then, um, if I remember rightly from my geography days, there's this pool on the side of the waterfall, which I think is called an eddy, yeah. uh, where it's a severe disorganization, all washed up or or breakdown. Yeah, we use this in a lot of um, our training and other ways to help normalize grief and help people just get a bit of an understanding because yeah it, it's you imagine you're sailing along on the river everything lies happen and then somebody dies and it is like falling off the waterfall or other people describe it as a bomb going off in your life and then you crash down on the rocks and that's the really the raw pain but then there's this whole turmoil like being buffeted around in the eddy in the whirlpool at the bottom that's the grief mm. bit yeah. that's the processing bit um, and in time, most people will, in their under their own resources and the right support from friends and family, will then manage to come out into the smooth waters of a lower, different river of life. Some people will take longer than others. Some people might get stuck. And it's those that get stuck that that's where crews would come in and step mm-hmm. in and help help them to make that transition okay. to the new water river okay. of life. But yeah, the grief bit is the stuck at the bottom, smashing and crashing around on the rocks. Yes. Okay. Let's get into just practical impact of all of that, the changes that go on in people's lives and the impact on a body physically, on the impact on people's cognitive functions, ability to make decisions, for example, impact on health. What is it that clients could be going through? All of those (laughs) and more, (laughs) literally all of them. Grief, that's what most people are surprised by, Mm. is how all-encompassing and how wide the impact of grief can be and how different it can be for mm. for people. Um, at Cruise, fifty percent of our referrals for support come via GPs, which is quite surprising. But that's people who are going to the GP with a, a, a niggle or an ache or an unexplained problem, and actually quite often it's linked to to, to grief. So that will be problems sleeping, definitely problems. Um, just aches and pains what else yeah thinking being able to process information the amount of information and certainly my dad died when I was getting all these leaflets through it's like oh face that you know and that was an unexpected death so people's just are just slower in their ability to take on board information um it aches and pains not sleeping not eating eating too much yeah drinking too much all those sort (laughs) of self-soothing things all of it Mm. and it'll be different and it'll be different for different grievances as well and if we think then about money management Mm -hmm. and big decisions because with death comes change and and potentially decisions to make do we do I move house for example some of these are big financial decisions but cognitive function can be affected I guess can't it through the kinds of you know just from lack of sleep for example Um, somebody once told me and it may or may not be right never make a big sort of financial decision in within six months of a... I don't think you can be that prescriptive. I think a whole load of other circumstances are factors in that. Mm -hmm. You know, it might be right to move because 
that person might want to move closer to family. It, they may not want to move because of the memories in that house. They may want to move because of the memories in that house. <laughs> there is no rhyme or reason. I'd say, though, helping as a financial advisor, helping them double check their reasoning and not doing things on a whim might be a place for the, yeah. for the, your, the financial advisors yeah. to, to sanity check, double check. Yeah. It's, it is. It's, it's asking those questions and, and kind of checking in, just being like, okay, well, how, how long have you been thinking about that? Or things like that. It's it's checking in and actually making sure, you know, if you've been speaking to a client for, God knows, what, six months, and then, you know, this person, you know, their partner dies and then all of a sudden they're turning around and being like oh you know I'm going to go I'm going to go sailing around the Bahamas or whatever um, and you're just going to be well you've never mentioned that before so where where has that kind of come from where you know start digging into it a little bit gently but just mm-hmm. just asking those questions of kind of just finding out more information it's about finding out information that's what it is realistically is what it is one of the other things we tend to do in the industry Asking sort of, you know, how long have you been thinking about that for? Or, you know, you've never mentioned that. Explain it to me a bit more. It's a good way, like you said, of yeah. kind of engaging and asking the right question. Now, one of the other things that financial advisors will generally try and do is to include a third party often in, in, in review meetings because, like you said, normally there are, say, a couple. Okay, mm-hmm. So you have two people supporting one another. Now, an individual then comes in on their own because they've lost their other half. So how would you feel about that? If, if a financial advisor was to try and say, you know, is there somebody else that you'd like to, to bring with you into the meetings? How, how best to ask that question? It sounds eminently sensible. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, you know, I remember when my, my, my grandfather passed away and died. Um, yeah, I mean, I should say whatever, really. Um, <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, there it is. Um, yeah, when my, when my grandfather died, my nan had no idea. She had no idea about money. She had no idea kind of what money was where and different accounts and things like that. And, you know, when having to make that call, she's not the most confident person on the telephone. So, you know, having that person there listening and, and able to, because a lot of the time people think, oh, well, actually, because this is so personal, because this is so private, I can't bring that person in with me. So for you to actually turn around and identify that they can, mm-hmm. and that's okay. Could be a relief. Could be a massive relief. Let's get on some really sort of practical hints and tips. Mm-hmm. And, and quite often the scenario is where there's a couple and one of the two passes away. How, how, how can couples dies, sorry. Uh, how can couples prepare for that? What, what, makes, what makes it easier? Housekeeping. Mm. Really boring. <laughs> Knowing where the money is, mm. how much it is, which account. Um, we had to deal with my mum's estate because she died unexpectedly at the beginning of lockdown. Yeah, we had to go through all the filing cabinets and, and all of that stuff it, it takes time mm-hmm. goodness knows odd share certificates marshalling all of that yeah if you can streamline that really boring yeah. but really helpful oh. by contrast when my father died uh, a month or so ago we'd been managing his money so we knew where it all was um it was all very very straightforward mm-hmm. um and therefore all that flows from that in terms of probate and that inheritance tax and legal stuff is just yeah. a way off because mm-hmm. it's it's not a mystery. Yeah. So any document summing up where all accounts are, account numbers, without hopefully leading to any security concerns and so on and so forth, but just to make it easier for the brain to deal with things. Yeah. yeah. When, you, when you're not able to process much information, then having to try and unpick a web of financial stuff 
is just another layer that yeah. you don't really need. And I think as well, it's kind of, it's, it's going back to what you're saying about finances being a taboo subject. Having those conversations whilst you are still alive, um, as crazy as it sounds, you know, actually turning around and saying, okay, well, yeah, like with your nearest and dearest. Because for me, you know, having to sort out Natasha's finances and, and taking all of that in, it's nothing, we've never spoken about that before, ever. Um, and then all of a sudden it's, it's, it's on me to, to, to try and pick up those pieces. Whereas if we'd had that conversation and it had been okay to have that conversation, we may not have been in that situation that we were in. What would you say about the wills? <laughs> Depends, on your, I guess, on your circumstances. But for most of your clients, I imagine they have enough assets that please just do it. <laughs> um, especially if you've got complicated family arrangements, stepchildren and all of that. Otherwise, just by the, the way... That things would get divvied up otherwise. If you want your money to go to particular places, put it in writing. Otherwise, you might find out with stepchildren stuff that it doesn't end up where you thought. And, and we're talking about the importance of having these slightly tricky taboo subjects within families. Actually, really, we're talking about the importance of the financial advisor understanding the situation in a family with a client, having those tricky conversations. Uh, I, I guess there's a lot of skill associated in with doing that the right way, and, and, and many financial advisors are very skilled at those sorts of tricky conversations. They get to know people's lives quite intimately in many ways, don't they? I think so. I think that you know the problem is what you hope is that a client will share that information from you. You never want to probe, and you certainly don't want to upset a client, which is why I asked about the third-party thing previously. But you know, yes, I think, like you said, going with empathy rather than sympathy in these situations, you'll hopefully get the most out of your client. And I think as well, it's kind of for that, that dynamic, I, I don't know, I'm not a financial advisor, <laughs> um, but to have that dynamic with your client of having conversations like that so freely and making it sound like a conversation that you'd have in the pub or something like that, you know, making it okay to talk makes the person on the other end of the phone say, oh, okay, well, that wasn't that bad to have that conversation. I'll go and have it with so-and-so, you know? Okay. Um, so we've talked a little bit about difficult conversations. We're on that topic now. You were talking earlier, Kirsty, about the importance of just plain listening. Mm-hmm. You talked about professional warmth. Um, that language to use, going back to language, when you hear the news yeah. that somebody has died, what do you say? It's one of those things, it's the first thing we get asked for at cruise when it comes to training. It's what to say and what's not to say. Say something, it's the first thing. <laughs> you would be amazed how many people go, oh, and and don't don't acknowledge it. Please say something. And even if you're worried you're gonna say the wrong thing, start, you can always stop. Mm-hmm. But I mean I I would personally say, I'm just I'm sorry, so sorry to hear that news. I wouldn't go, I'm sorry, and we've someone I've had a conversation <laughs> about this before. He has a view, but mm. you've got to acknowledge it in some way that is right and appropriate in your words. Condolences. You've got my condolences. We don't know to talk like that, do they? If that's how you no. talk, absolutely <laughs> fine. But for most people, some words that just pervade that empathy of something awful's happened to you, and I yeah. and I've heard that. Yeah. So for me, I'd say I'm sorry to hear that. But you have a very definite view. Yeah, I <laughs> um, I cannot stand the word sorry in the, in those in those situations because. And, and, and I'll, I'll go into it a little bit. It's because, sorry, it's, it's like you're taking responsibility for that. And you're, you're taking that on. 
And I think that's sometimes when somebody turns around to me and they'll say, oh, I'm sorry. I'm just like, well, what are you sorry about? Like, and I, and I know it sounds horrible and it's really, and it's, 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 I never say it out loud. But for me, <laughs> what are you sorry for? Um, for me, I, I prefer, um, I can't imagine what you're going through, but help me to understand. Or, you know, what can I do to help you? Yeah. Because if you're talking to somebody and, and it's, you know, it's one of those things that we have to, again, another taboo subject that we don't talk about enough. If you're talking to somebody and you're talking to a client and they've been going through domestic violence, for example, and you turn around to them and say, oh, I'm sorry for that, for that person's, that person's death. You have no idea. They could feel relief. They could mm. feel happy that that person has gone, mm. you know? So for you to turn around and say sorry means that they have something that they, they should feel guilty. They should feel bad. This, this happened to me just the other day. I, I, one of our neighbours, and she's around 70, her mother died, and I said, I'm very sorry to hear about your mother. She said, oh, don't be. She's been telling me she was dying for the last 80 years. Uh, she was frankly relieved. Um, so I take yeah. that point in, entirely. But it is that thing of it is worth thinking what ahead of time what you will say and making sure it sounds like it's you. Yeah. Um, so whether it's I'm sorry to hear that or whether it's uh, that's so awful, that's really awful. Can I, what can I do? Mm. It doesn't have to be a long thing. It doesn't have to be drawn out. Just something. And but please say something because mm. as I said, you will be surprised how many people don't. Yeah. Um, we need to wrap up pretty soon because our conversation has flown by. There's tons more advice and guidance I know that crews can give, but I just wanted to pick up on a couple of things. Everybody has experience of bereavement to some degree, mm-hmm. right? Including um, service providers, financial advisors. If I'm a financial advisor, should I empathise by bringing my own experiences in? No, thank no. you. Please, no. please keep that to yourself. Yes, your experience, back to that thing I said about shape of grief, you, your story, all those factors that shaped your grief will be different to me, will be different to the other person, different to Dom. No, thank you very much. Good. Clear on that. Clear on that. Yeah. And, and I also wanted to just stop and focus on, if you're in this situation and you're a financial advisor and you're hearing about other people's deaths, clients, families, in some cases tragedies, yeah. you've got to look out for yourself. Yeah, it can it can echo, and that is important. Self care yeah. is how we'd call it within crews. But yeah, it, it can impact on you. Don't mm. don't dismiss that. If it is making, if it's bringing up stuff in your own life for you, recognise that, and do do something for yourself. Whether that is talking to somebody else, whether that is going for a walk on a bright sunny day, but don't just go squishing it yeah. down. Yeah. And I think if just to jump in on, on, on that, so as well as kind of, you know, being a lived expert of it, I also volunteer for crews as well. And I know what it's like to have those conversations that create triggers. And you could be fine, you know, we were talking earlier on how it's just a nice day outside, it's cold, but it's got the sun out, and you're feeling fine. And then somebody has that conversation with you. And it's just a little bit too to the bone. To come off that conversation and keep that and hold that in is going to do so much more damage than actually turning around and saying to someone, can we go for a quick cup of tea? I just need to say something to you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I think not taking on the world of grief of the client yeah. is something I think I've heard you say uh, previously. Absolutely. Um, you guys are experts at the financial stuff. Keep doing that and doing that well. Should you think that the client, your client you're dealing with could do with some extra support, certainly encourage them to talk to friends, family, faith groups, book groups, whoever that is. If you sense they haven't got that network, that's the best network, if we're honest. If you haven't, if you sense there isn't that network, then that's when please signpost them to Cruise. It's cruse.org.uk. Okay. But there are other bereavement support groups out there. So the financial advisor should actually ask the client to get in contact with you themselves just, rather than... I would just say I'm aware of a charity who, who works and offers support in this area. They're called Cruise. Here's the website address. Yeah. We, there's, no, there's no ability to self-refer, for somebody to refer somebody in. People have to... Yeah approach us themselves for support. Sorry, just, uh, just just last point. Um, it's just to listen, to actively listen. Because when I'm calling you and this has happened, this is a big thing for me to call you. And so just just actively listen, just take everything, even just take down notes, whatever, just something that's going to help you jog your memory so that you're not going back and asking for information over and over again. Listen, listen, listen. We'll all take that from, from this conversation. And it's flown by. It's been a very rich conversation. I know from um, having worked with you both before, there's tons, tons more where that came from. Um, so lots more resources on the Cruise Bereavement Support website and other bereavement uh, services, uh, counselling, all sorts of ways in which people can um, access support, but, but Cruise is a great place to start. So Kirsty um, and Dom particularly, thank you so much for coming in and uh, talking to us. It's been uh, such value. The content of this recording is strictly for general consideration only. No action must be taken or refrained from based on the content alone. Professional advice must always be sought. Accordingly, neither Technical Connection Limited nor any of its officers, employees or contractors can take responsibility for any loss occasioned as a result of any such action or inaction.